0: Oh, recorded
1: live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 113 was recorded live April 26, 2012. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jillson. Here's some of the articles we're going to be covering in the news this week. We have corporations spreading the word about diving, rare artillery shell find, and we have uh, deep pockets and deeper ambitions. But before we get started, in the news, I'd like to welcome my co-host for this week, Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim?
0: I'm doing just great. I feel so guilty. I feel so good. <laughs> well, you know, no need to feel guilty. We, you
1: know, everybody deserves to have some some good. Okay. <laughs> it didn't take you too much to convince you. And we have a hop in chat room tonight. In fact, the chat room is almost better than the show. I We yeah, should just chat- record the chat room and, and let them go. The chat much room more is on fire. So if you're missing out in the chat room, one way you can go to it is you can go to TalkShoe on Thursday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time, uh, where show 73759. You can go in there, or you can visit the Scuba Obsessed website, com. And uh, over there on the right side, we'll have a banner, and you can click on. So if we're recording, it will show you the recording we're recording. That's a little redundant. And then you can go and follow along in the chat room where you can pick up old, uh, well, I guess they're, they're not really old recordings, previous shows that are up on the website. But Vintage Archives. Exactly. So thank you, everybody, in the chat room once again. And we're going to jump into the news. I'm going to paste this first article so everybody can keep up. There I. Found most of these on my phone, so they're gonna be they were a little small, so hopefully they're they're good articles. Only the best curated articles. This first one is a corporation spreading the news about diving sports. Uh and pretty much what this is, a press relief about Nani n N A N A I M O. NAMIO nanio uh, Economic Development Corporation is trying to spread the word. Uh, and they're going to be at the Dive and Travel Expo in Tacoma, Washington this weekend. This is a Canadian blog, so I'm assuming it's in Canada.
0: It sounds so, like it must be. They keep talking about a uh, Canadian supply ship and a Canadian destroyer.
1: Yeah, the uh, HMCS Cape Breton, retired Canadian supply ship, and they're saying it's the world's largest artificial upright reef. Now, when you have to put so many disclaimers in it as a a little bit more too than that. In the chat room, they're trying to tell me how to pronounce it: n-a-n long sound and o. Nani That doesn't look right, does it? Nani mo? Yeah, I guess so. Like
0: that.
1: Okay. Well, I'll go with that. Nani mo. They're saying that past, So. Nani mo. Now is that in
0: Canada? Do Do you actually know that, or was that just a guess? I came out of the chat room from Lynch Diver. No,
1: we have the most knowledgeable chat room out there. So they, they, they
0: definitely, you're right. I I would never challenge the uh, knowledge of our chat room, but uh, they they make it up.
1: And uh, by going to the world's most authoritative source on all things, the Wikipedia, they have the, uh, it was a Cape class escort maintenance ship originally built for the Royal Navy as HMS Flamborough head in 1944. She was transferred in 1952, uh, to the Royal Canadian Navy, Served until 1975. Was used as a floating machine shop until the late 1990s. Uh, let's see. She was a marine maritime museum in North Vancouver, British Columbia. Was sunk in the waters of British Columbia in 2001. After extensive cleaning, it now lies near Snake Island and Nanimo Harbor. And it's a popular scuba diving site.
0: So I'm wow. a horny ship. Uh, and he's... 2001, has got 10 years of growth on it. Sounds like it could be an interesting wreck to look at. Yeah. You know, even those North Atlantic wrecks or North Pacific wrecks, probably, uh, I know they do eventually grow some coral on them, so sounds like it could be an interesting dive. Yeah. Any yeah. wreck's an interesting dive.
1: Yeah, I, you, you don't have to do a whole lot of arm twisting to get me to give it a try.
0: Okay.
1: Next one is from Inquirer News, inquirer.net. Uh, the... Lapu Lapu city government spearheaded a coastal und- and underwater cleanup Monday morning along the seawaters of the Crimson Resort and Hotel in Moktan in celebration of Earth Day and as part of Pandugan Se Matan activities. And I doubt anybody in the chat room can fix that one. Sacks of garbage, such as plastic bags, tin cans, bottles, and fish nets, were taken up by police and volunteer scuba divers. The resort uh, the resort's general manager was thankful for the project, says we were looking forward to partnership with the city and other volunteers for a similar but much bigger activity. On September 15th, the resort will once again host the coastal and underwater cleanup. Cleaning the seawaters is a challenge. Maintaining cleanliness should only be done on certain diving occasions since Earth Day. What? I guess I don't get what that means. Why are they saying maintaining cleanliness should only be done on certain during occasions such as Earth Day? Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't know if that. That's a good question. The, the translation, or if they clean it up, there's nothing else to dive on.
0: I'll uh, bet it should not only be done on certain days.
1: Yeah, I'm just thinking, thinking that's days. a typo. Underscores the need for the city's coastal areas, and underwater. He says there are ten rivers and Cebu, which would have caused filthiness and brought garbage to the island. Each scuba diver participated in the cleanup. Activity was given a certificate by Crimson Resort. Oh, uh, that's I guess it's better than nothing. Lapu Lapu, fun, fun, sounds like a fun place.
0: Is that just down the river from Nanini Naimo? Nah, Yeah, I'm an expert now. N-nenimo. Thanks,
1: thanks, to Lynch Diver. I got that all, I'll take okay. care of. Uh,
0: lapu Lapu.
1: Next one is out of the San Diego Community Newspaper. I'm assuming newspaper because
0: it hasn't the site hasn't come up. San Diego Community News. Yes, San Diego Community Newspaper Group. This one is very interesting, I find. Yeah,
1: this one, uh, SDNews.com. This is uh, about a diver, Michael Harlow, who says he's been diving for more than half his life. He's seeking underwater adventure in every corner of the earth. He's experienced picturesque coral reefs, shipwrecks, and has been a paddy dive master for over 20 years but he's talking about um, an instance which happened to him in the South Pacific uh, several years ago. He and a couple other divers are exploring a World War II-era sunken Japanese freighter when Harlow separated from the group. He was fascinated by a dark hole in the wreck above his head. He ascended into the void, keeping one hand above his head in case he bumped into anything. Panic started to set in when his dive light went out. He said, I started freaking out. I couldn't see anything in the pitch black. But when I brought my light to my face, it would turn back on. When the light was illuminated, he saw he was covered in a dark brown goo. And when he brought it back down to his side, the light went out again. He began to uh, realize he had penetrated a thick oil sheet and soon discovered another development as his predicament that hit him. His arm, still above his head, suddenly felt heavy. Why, he wondered, would his arm feel heavy if he were underwater? As the puzzle pieces began to fall in place, he realized he was no longer underwater. He was inside a large air pocket probably created when the ship sank, uh, festering 130 feet below the uh, ocean surface for 70 years. Fortunately, his vast diving experience stopped him from taking his regular out for his breath. The air, he said, was probably so toxic, toxic it would have killed him instantly. I was tripping out a bit, he said. There's a number of factors I aware of. I knew that it was 70-year-old wreck in an oil-saturated air. Any moment I could die from any number of things happening. He brought his dive light up near the surface's face. Dared to get a better understanding of his situation. When he saw an illuminated, the light nearly took his breath away. I started looking around, was amazed at what I saw. Everywhere I turned, there were these crystals on every surface reflecting back at me. Uh, he looked further in the abyss and was shocked to see that through a small passageway, the air pocket extended, open into a giant hole. The space is so large, his light couldn't penetrate the other end. He estimated it held about 125,000 cubic feet of trapped air. The air in the hole was so huge, you could get out and play football in it, he said. Feeling that's that, a
0: large air pocket.
1: Well, that's what I'm kind of wondering: is you know, uh, you know, uh, at what volume of air would it make the ship not sink?
0: Well, think if it's 130 feet down, how much air was in it when it, you know, before it compressed down? Right. Either that, or uh, you've still got a decent hull above you, and all the exhaust gases of all the uh, penetration divers have done have collected up in there. Oh, so that great. hole would grow over the years.
1: Well, you know, one thing I've noticed is that, like, when we're driving on rep, wrecks in the Great Lakes, uh, I think you might have even pointed out where you can kind of see uh, lines in the sediment where the wrecks decaying underneath the bottom, and you got bubbles boiling up. hmm you know, Yes. It make, makes you wonder if maybe something like that could be happening.
0: It's definitely possible.
1: Well, uh, a little bit farther down, it talks about he was feeling that his good luck good luck wouldn't hold out forever so he had to send back down to where his diving partners in lower level. First, however, he wanted to make sure he got a sample of the crystals. He tried to take one of the largest, he said, reached about a foot in length that wouldn't budge. He tried a smaller one, even that wouldn't give an inch, not wanting to risk triggering an explosion from the spark. By trying to chip off a piece, he decided to cut his losses get out of the chamber while he still could. His partners located him still covered in gooey oil, which burned his skin as it seeped into his pores, and they left the wrecked the experience, however, stayed with him for the better part of a decade been eating at me for years and years. I kicked myself for not going back and documenting what I saw there. I dived all over the world, never seen anything like this. Now finally hoping to quell his curiosity, perhaps make some scientific discoveries. Uh, He's returning to the wreck. This time he won't come empty handed. In July or August, he and his wife will once again try and locate the giant air hold. He will collect samples of the crystals using a rubber mallet and chisel to avoid the possibility of creating sparks, uh, turning over the results to the scientific community. He says the dive site, he says, is fairly popular with adventure divers. It is remote, thus expensive to get to, but he noted with enough in the dive world that he, uh, Harlow went so far as to describe the wreck as a wreck diving mecca. Why then um, has nobody else discovered it in all these times? Uh, he's, one of his thoughts is probably they weren't stupid enough to penetrate an oil sheet and dive into a pitch black hole. That's meaning. What, what do you think those crystals could be?
0: That's hard to say. You know, it could have been salt. Um, uh, could have been any kind of chemical that might have been in there that worked its way up through the hull, and if they were that hard that they couldn't break them off um that's really interesting they may he may have found himself quite a treasure there and not even realized it.
1: Well, what I'm wondering is maybe they got some sort of chemical reaction going on in that hull. maybe they have uh there's some galvanic response going on, and you've got your ship and your wreck in the ocean as a giant battery, and uh you've basically been separating you know, oxygen and heat and hydrogen all these years. And that could just be residue from, you know, the minerals in the water. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly be interesting to see if they can find out. But there's a a Kickstarter project where he's hoping to raise some money to get himself out there. I'm all for Kickstarter. I'd love to have a Kickstarter for for my diving expenses.
0: Yeah. You can kickstart me anytime you want. (laughs) Okay. Up next. (laughs) Yeah, the, the, the 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 chat room
1: is uh, is really going. Uh, Democratic yeah. from this one's from the DemocraticUnderground.com. Illegal bomb fishing rapidly reduced pristine Komodo reefs to rubble. Illegal fishermen manu utilizing homemade bombs to kill fish off the coast of Komodo Island, Indonesia. This is reported by Associated Press. Uh, not only have they in, in, injured the fish populations that protected the area but uh, the coral reefs are being uh, pounded. Uh, They said they blast, ripped off, and turned upside down. According to the article, fish bombing has become more common along the island ever since Uh, conservative NGOs, the Natural Conservancy and Pariti Nagu Komodo, were forced out of managing the park due to a dispute with the government over how money from fees should be applied. Uh, The NGO wanted... Park fees, which they raised for foreigners to go back to protected area, while well, the government fought for funds to be moved into a general fund. <laughs> in the U.S., we know how general funds work. The NGOs were excited, were were exited in 2010, leaving the government to manage over 200,000 hectare park. Of course, we know governments are best at doing all things. <laughs> uh, the, the head of the park is claiming that the government is successful in enforcing the laws, Noting Rangers have arrested arrested molested, I said, arrested sixty illegal fishermen in the last two years. One fisherman was killed recently by Rangers after a group of fishermen threw their homemade bombs at the Rangers. Uh, they said this type of fishing is a widespread problem and Indonesia is believed to cost of the country four billion dollars annually and undercut local people's access
0: to protein. Is this like fishing with dynamite? I've never tried it. Seems like it would be effective. Yeah. As long as you're not Doing it while diving. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, I do not want somebody doing that while I'm in the water. So next up from uh, we we go from fishing with dynamite to finding what could be dynamite in New Hampshire. This one from the East Coast. New Hampshire divers find rare artillery shell. The shell's headed to a museum in Maine. Uh, local divers working near Portsmouth Naval Shipyard came across a rare artillery shell from the Civil War era. Commercial diver Rob Love of Chinchester. Chinchester. Chinchester? Chichester. What's that?
0: Chichester. Chichester.
1: And yes. his diving partner Gunnar Elk Eck of Kitty Point, Maine, learned the shell is headed to the museum. They made a discovery in December. The pair was diving a channel between Portsmouth Naval Yard and Kittery. Love said he and Eck were working were work inspecting some moorings in a channel behind the shipyard when they noticed something strange about twenty three feet below the surface sticking up in the middle of the channel. It did actually look like a scuba tank, an old scuba tank at first, which is what we thought it first was until we lifted it up and figured out it was kind of a heavy first scuba tank. Love and Eck have prior military experience are familiar with explosives. The shell was sticking out of the mud, so I went to take a look at it and then I figured out what it was. So it came to the surface and called the Marine Patrol at that point. The Coast Guard Marine State Police Bomb Squad and eventually the U.S. Navy were called in. The Navy came in and took it away. They took it down to Rhode Island where they were going to make it safe. And all that unfolded in December. And now Love just learned that the rare 80-pound shell is headed to museum in Augusta, Maine. I feel quite happy. I didn't want it to be destroyed. I guess it's pretty rare to find one in such good condition. So it's going to be in a place where everyone can see it. How the shell ended up in the channel remains a mystery, but expert in the Civil War explosives has identified the shell as a parrot round which is a particular type of explosive invented by a, na- a man from Portsmouth. He's actually from New Hampshire. I believe his name was Robert Parrott from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. He invented the shell. I'm just imagining since they were so close to the naval base that that was just a case of maybe they were transferring it from one vessel to the other and it just went in.
0: Yeah, I'm just glad they didn't try to clean it up or bang on it with their knife and see what it was <laughs> below the surface.
1: Well, we all know that it's the best way to check out what something is is hit it real,
0: real hard a few times. Yeah. Yeah, it's like grabbing a bottle that's partly submerged. You just grab it and pull straight up on it, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's a great yeah. way to bring up half a bottle.
1: Yeah, uh, I've probably done that more than once. And this is one I I didn't send in the show notes, Jim. I'll paste it into the chat room and also in the Skype so you can see it. But this one is uh, National Geographic's announced that they are going to do a special on James Cameron. It's going to be a dive documentary. Um The Academy Award-winning director dove to Deepest Point in the Ocean last month in a one-man submersible he helped engineer. The Deep Sea Challenge will be featured in 3D, and a 30-minute interview with Cameron will be included. James Cameron's Voyage to the Bottom Earth will air along with Deep Sea Challenge this Sunday, 9 p.m. in an interview. Cameron talks about describing the the sphere-shaped sub, Deep Sea Challenger, and dishes on what it's like to to sink thousands of miles below the surface. Well, thousands of miles. Is that, yeah. is that a typo, Ralph. Thousands
0: of it must be thousands of feet.
1: Dishes on once like to sink thousands of miles below the surface.
0: That's what it says.
1: It says it, but <laughs> hey, it's on the internet. It must be. It, true. It must be true. I, it, you're right. It's got to be thousands of feet. It can't. Yeah, you know, thousands of miles. He's been in lava. I'm surprised it's out so quick. That's this Sunday. He just wow. did that. Uh, he just did that a few weeks back. Hmm. I was expecting to read this and have them say it was going to be six months off.
0: It's either sweeps week or a very slow season, and they want to gather some interest and uh, generate some money.
1: Yeah. Yep. They said they're going to use some CGI animation added to the documentary, and you'll feel like you're diving alongside Cameron just without the pressure. Okay. We're getting close to the end of these. This next one, we called a Potentially sc- Cool Scuba Gear, but they're really... Just talking more about the subs. Cameron's not the only one who's doing it. In fact, there's uh, dive sub manufacturers are saying, you can go ahead and buy your one, too. So how much do you think one of these would cost?
0: I'll have to check that out and see what we got here.
1: So what they're sure. saying is, uh, along with Cameron, we have Sir Richard Branson. We have the Russian oligarch Roman Abramof-
0: Abramovich. Well, Branson could afford it. I mean, he's got his own town in Missouri.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, and then Silicon Valley mogul Tom Perkins are all owners of submarines. Abramovich, like Abra, Abra Abramovich. Abramovich that's got to be it. He has a one billion dollar super yacht, Eclipse, the world's largest at 170 meters, and then he's got a submarine that jostles for a room with two helicopter pads, two swimming pools, and bunks for 20 guests.
0: Hey, I know somebody who'd be happy to uh, captain that ship. <laughs> he'd probably be happy to be a deck man it. Kind of yeah, that, that, that sounds like a way to do it. Yeah, let somebody else worry about the business. And just I'll just wash things down all the time. Yeah.
1: Well, they're saying that for an entry-level craft, you can touch one for a measly $750,000. That's They said that's before you start customizing it, which it can run in over a million dollars then. But they're saying this is getting to be uh, popular with the rich. These uh, entry-level subs are designed to do 100 meters to 300 meters. Uh, Hawks Ocean Technology also offers one, two, and three-day underwater flight schools in locations such as Bahamas, Mexico, Jordan, and Lake Tahoe. Uh, the three-day course costs $15,000 to learn how to pilot your own sub. Owners we have sub submersals have been interested in piloting the sub themselves but also train their boat crew, resort crew to pilot the sub, so there are multiple pilots. So, Yeah, when you, when you spend a million dollars for it, I, I doubt the $15,000 a day training really concerns them all that much.
0: Now, pocket lint.
1: Yeah. Well, that does it for Scuba News for this week.
0: Kind of a slow week for, week for news, because you, you had to go around the world to get it. Yeah, I, I,
1: I was surprised. The, the week before, it was just crawling out of the internet, so to speak, and this week we didn't have much of anything.
0: But we took a trip around the world, so...
1: Well, now it's time to talk about last week's dives, and uh, unfortunately, we've we've had water's been a little, not water, air temperature's been a little colder. We had record temperatures for March, but then April, even though it's been pretty much on what an April should be, it it feels cold, doesn't it? It does right now. But we did get out on, uh, we we broke in the boats this last week, Uh, Bob Sweeney got his uh, Zodiac out, and we had it. Pretty well full. I think we could have probably squeezed one more diver. We had five on, so we had Bob Kirk, Jim Kleeman, myself, and uh, Richard Curtis. We all went out and we decided to break it in. Uh, He had some work done on the boat, so this is going to be the maiden voyage after he got it uh, serviced, and it did really well. We went out to Diamond Lake to dive the South Bend. So uh, we got out to Diamond Lake, and the winds were high. I don't know, I would have to say 20 gusting. We had white caps in Diamond Lake, which I don't think I've ever been on Diamond Lake when they've had white caps. Mm. So, uh, you know, I wasn't expecting much. You know, I I was diving wet, and the rest of the guys were diving dry. Um, we went down and did our normal first dive of the year on it. Uh, for those who don't know, the South Bend is a I don't know. It's this little steamship. Uh, what what was that movie that you had the little steamship in?
0: Uh, African Queen.
1: Yeah, the African Queen. That's what I picture this this little steamship looking like. Maybe a, maybe a little bit longer than that, but not much. Uh, but it mm. caught fire when the boiler hit the water. It exploded and it scattered the wreck around. The wreck has since been brought back together, and uh, it's it's a nice uh, good dive. Uh, now Bob says he's seen the water clear, but I think for me this is one of the clearest I've seen it. We had it was uh, sunny, partly cloudy, uh, so it was bright. It's probably about two in the afternoon, and uh, even though we all had dive lights, you know Bob was breaking in his new. I don't know what he calls that. It's got like seven LEDs on it. That thing's brighter than the one he had before.
0: Is that the one he
1: designed
0: and built himself or is this one he purchased?
1: No, this is one he saw. He went to Our World Underwater in Chicago. Uh, okay. he saw it when they were in when they were in there that was the one they were shining up in the ceiling of the convention center and he says it was that bright on there you can imagine what it was gonna be like underwater and it this so I think it might have been one of his first dives of that too. Wow. And he just got his dry
0: suit back from being repaired.
1: Yep, and he had new boots p- put onto his dry suit, so that'd come back. And so he's all set. Um, and he was diving his rebreather, too. So, And that was a, the maiden dive for the year because he takes it apart uh, and rebuilds it. So that was a, the first dive after he did that. Yeah, it's a good place to do it. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice, it's a known spot. Uh, not a lot of entanglement hazard. Uh, dropped the anchor. I mean, uh, he's got some great GPS coordinates. He dropped the anchor right there on the rack. I mean, it was like within six inches.
0: Wow. What kind of Viz did you have?
1: Viz was, I'm going to say 15. Good. 10 to 15.
0: Especially with it blowing as much as it has been.
1: Yep. So, uh, yeah, that's what we were thinking at the top. But at the bottom, there was very little if no current. Uh, I didn't feel any thermocline yet which I guess isn't that surprising for this time of year for Diamond that you wouldn't have a thermocline really established. No, not yet. Uh, you know, the, the normal lucky bottom. We did have a little bit of ex- excitement towards the end of the dive. Uh, Bob was reeling his reel, and it got caught. So we had five divers all putting their light at Bob's reel while he sat there and messed with it. But uh, it, was, it was a nice dive. I think we had about 35, 40 minutes on there, came up, and then went back in. In the chat room, they're, they're yelling at me to talk about uh, what we talked about last week. That's what happens when you miss, guys. Uh, they they want to. They're talking about the safety recall of the MyFlex. So if you missed last week's episode, there is a recall on the MyFlex hoses. You can visit the. Uh, uh, they're distributed by excess Scuba. So you go www.excessscuba.com and uh, there should be a link on there. Yeah, they're saying uh, MyFlex, MyFlex. I call it MyFlex. That's how they spell it, isn't it? M-I-F-L-E-X. So, uh, but anyway, we had, no, it, was, it was a nice dive there on, on uh, the South Bend at Diamond Lake. And I think I've talked to most of my inboard boat buddies, and they're ready that, uh, to get their boats out. So, is, is yours about ready to go, Jim?
0: Um, no, I've been working on the big boat up ah. in South Haven. I got another weekend up there, and then I'll be able to spend some time working online.
1: Okay. Now, when you say the big boat, that's a friend's goodwill?
0: Friend's Goodwill, the Tall Ship. Yeah, we're getting it re- all rigged up and ready to go for the season. And we strip the rigging completely off of that. So do a lot of maintenance on the winter time. And month of April is uh, two weeks straight. We re-rig it, and then the third weekend we go out and do a test sail. So this weekend is test sail. Oh, excellent. Now, how long is that boat? It's fifty-six feet on deck. And 106 feet overall by the time we get the bowsprit and the jib boom on it, um, so it uh, it grows quite a bit when you start putting the nose on it. And then uh, we sail it. Uh, it's got uh, three headsails, a mainsail, and a square topsail on a single mast, so it's a sloop. Oh. So it's what's known as a square topsail sloop, a replica of an 1810 sloop that would have run the Great Lakes before the War of 1812, and they've got quite a history on the boat that we we named it after and uh, set it up for. um, One of the interesting things, you know, you think of the city of Chicago. In 1812, Chicago was a wilderness fort that had approximately 40 people living in it. St. Joseph was a larger city than Chicago was in 1812.
1: That is amazing. Yep. But in a certain aspect, it makes sense. I mean, you, the population moved from the east and it headed out west, so it had to come through somewhere. Mm-hmm. And St. Joe would have been right on it. So if you would have gone through Detroit, you either went up and around the Great Lakes, or you went across land and you would have entered the. You'd have found the water there about St. Joe. So St. Joe would have probably yep. been the overland route used in the winter, and then when the weather was good, you would probably you'd take advantage of the the water
0: but uh, definitely it was much faster to go by water than it was uh around you know by horse or carriage
1: yeah. yeah so what was the uh i mean with sail power how how long would you say a detroit to chicago trip would take somebody
0: Ooh. well let's see uh about 5 to 7 days depending on the uh, the wind and weather conditions um and then doing it you know straight through hard you know, you can do Mackinac uh in about forty eight hours from Chicago. Now the fast boats do it in twenty four now, but a traditional schooner, six to eight knots, forty eight to sixty hours. So that's two and a half days. Yeah, so you know, a full trip down Detroit to Chicago, roughly a week in that transit if you went straight on through.
1: Yeah, that, that doesn't that doesn't sound too bad.
0: Yeah. I mean, no. Not, not like what we used how to How long would it take you? Yeah, imagine how long it would take you to get from Detroit to Chicago uh, overland in the 1800s, following two tracks.
1: Yeah, that that would be yeah. a, at least triple, I would say. Yeah. So. Now I have to say, every time I see *Friends*, *Goodwill*, I feel guilty because I wouldn't mind seeing what that looked like in the bottom of the lake.
0: Well, there's lots of other boats that look close to it. And that's what's nice about having one on the surface that you can see what they look like and actually go out and sail on it uh, after you've seen them on the bottom.
1: It does help. So if people want to see the Friends
0: Goodwill, where would they go? Uh, South Haven, Michigan, the Michigan Maritime Museum in South Haven, Michigan.
1: Yeah. So you can do a Google search on that, and that will bring you up to the Michigan Maritime Museum website. So you got one more week of that and then then the big lake is calling? I hope so. So let's see. So this is uh we're we're hitting the last week in April now, and then we hit the first week into May. So so I'll have to be bugging Jim. He almost had his boat out
0: last week, but
1: uh-huh. Didn't, didn't quite make it.
0: I got some maintenance to do online. I've got to replace the bellows on the outdrive, and that is uh, one pain in the butt job to do. Yeah,
1: yeah. Jim Jim had took his down to Brian's Marine, and they went and did a did maintenance on his. So he's he's got that all set. He had to, some you know, of seals in the lower units worked on. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he was having uh, some fluid level issues throughout the year. Never saw a leak anywhere. Couldn't figure out where it's going. But you know mm-hmm. about. Every Once every six, eight weeks, he'd had to add a little bit more fluid when the alarms went off, so time to have somebody do a little bit of work on it.
0: Yep, yep. Well, I had a problem with mine overheating a bit last year, so I'm going to replace the water pump this year and mm-hmm. flush everything out real well.
1: Yeah, that'd be interesting to see what you find, if there was anything clogging that up, because it doesn't seem like you should. I mean, when you got all that Lake Michigan water, it doesn't seem like the engine should be warming up that high.
0: No, I think I had a bed and pillar and a pump.
1: Okay, so, yeah, I don't know if we got any plans, but I'm sure somebody will be calling me this weekend. Uh, yeah. We're getting to that time well, of the dive season, dive season.
0: This weekend is the Great Lakes Wrecking Crew Meet and Greet at Gilboa Quarry.
1: Yes, yeah, so if you're in Ohio and you want to meet some Great Lake wreck divers, they're going to be heading over there to Gilboa. And then isn't this also the weekend for uh, MSRA?
0: That was last weekend.
1: Oh, that was last weekend.
0: That was last weekend up to the show, yeah.
1: Why did I think that was on the same day? Well, uh, did you get a chance to go to it?
0: Uh, yeah, I went to the MSRA show, and that was, uh, it was a good show. Uh, a little smaller than last year, but they had some great exhibits. Um, MSRA did a really nice job on uh, the two presentations they did. One was on three different types of, and sizes of schooners and sloops in the Great Lakes and how they had grown in size as uh, time went on. And then they did a nice job on, I'm going to draw a blank, um, wreck over off Chicago that they did, Thomas Hume. they didn't find it, but they did a lot of investigation on the Thomas Hume and documentation of it, and that looks like a fun wreck to do. I think it's like 130 to the sand, uh, still intact, uh, three-masted wooden schooner, masts are lying on the deck, uh, great penetration wreck. So that would be a good trip to do.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Excellent, excellent. So that was that was good. So you said the attendance was down just a little bit from the year before? Just a little bit year before, but that's okay.
0: They had raised their price, their ticket prices just a little bit, and it left room for some growth because last year they were a standing room only sellout.
1: Yeah, well, that's kind of, you got to do bounce the supply and the demand.
0: Well, that's it. That's it. Oh, so they've so got hope- room to grow and, you know, more people can gain interest and in, attend uh, next year.
1: Now, did they, do any, did they talk any about the uh, shipwreck that they had found this, this last year, or at least announced this year?
0: Yes, they did. They, uh, they um, are pretty sure that they can name it as the St. Peter. Um, that's what they're calling it, and they did announce that. They haven't given any location, released any location numbers, but at 350 feet there aren't going to be too many people who will be diving it. No. Uh, but they do believe it's the St. Peter based off of what they've seen so far and they're waiting for permission from the state of Michigan to be able to take a core sample from the material in the hull to see if it's uh, if they can match it up to a cargo of wheat that the St. Peter was I believe carrying okay so they've got some you know material or muck or whatever did they say how long totally they thought it calls.
1: was going to take them to get permission from the state did they have any idea
0: nah they're dealing with the state so who knows when it could be
1: now, what agency ever get it. What agency did they have to get permission from? Uh, DNR. DNR?
0: Department of Natural Resources.
1: Well, is it really all that natural if somebody put it there?
0: Uh, state claims ownership, and if you want to make sure you don't get in trouble, you get permission.
1: Well, n- nothing wrong with doing it the right way, I guess. Yep. Yeah. So, and I appreciate, I did have some emails this week, nothing that uh, makes it onto the show, but people sent me some emails and they had some good ideas. So I appreciate them. If you have any feedback or or want to give us some suggestions or bad scuba jokes, uh, somebody sent us a joke, but we had unfortunately already did it. uh, You can send it to the show at scubaobsessed.com. You can also visit us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. And you can also follow the show on the Twitter at scubaobsessed. Also, if you have any ideas for guests or you know anybody wants to come on, drop us a line. I've got a few people I've been talking to. Nothing firmed up right away, but hopefully we'll get some, some guests on. And then also, as we get more and more lake diving, we should be having some, some photos to share and show along with those.
0: You know, Ralph Wilbanks is in the area. Maybe we can get him to come on oh, one yeah. night, one weekend, and... Uh Talk to us about his escapades of searching for shipwrecks, working for Clive Kussler and the NUMA organization all over the world.
1: Oh, that'd be excellent. Yeah, if you bump into him or have a way to contact him, go ahead and feel free to do that. We'll, we'll put okay. him on. What does he drink? Uh, do we know if he drinks?
0: Uh, Well, I, I have seen him with a brown bottle in his hand occasionally. Okay, so there might be some leverage there.
1: Yeah. And then we once again, if you're if you're not in the chat room, you're missing out. So the excellent, excellent chat room tonight. And uh, we're approaching that time of the show already. We are. It has to be. Time just flew by.
0: It did. It did. Okay. Well, I guess we better prepare ourselves for that time. Yeah. And
1: then uh, I, I didn't mention up at the front of the show, but you may have guessed that Mac wasn't on the show tonight. He, he called in and said that he wasn't going to be back in time. He's
0: got a family commitment this evening. I figured it. He yeah, I think he's spending time with his daughter, who's visiting back from France, and he hasn't seen her for a couple of years. So I think he deserves a night off.
1: Yeah, yeah, we we can
0: give it to him. So,
1: so I don't know. This one, this this joke isn't as old as others. You know, sometimes we have to let them ferment, but this one came in pretty ripe right to begin with. So I think I think it's going to be just about the right age.
0: Okay. I guess we're ready.
1: Okay, so here we go. Two divers from Ohio were diving in the Great Lakes for a dive charter when the first diver said, I need to stop and take a break. We've been driving so long, my butt fell asleep. I know, said the second diver. I heard it snoring three times in the last 15 minutes.
0: It did See,
1: see, there was that. Yeah. Ohio? I, I didn't, this is Dave. Dave in the chat room saying Ohio again. That was how the joke comes in. So I think we need some alternate. Yeah, we need a a nice snare drum. (laughs) So. uh,
0: Uh, You know how those Ohio divers are, Dave. (laughs) We'll
1: have to pick them. Maybe we'll have to pick on somebody else. (laughs) So. For myself, Jim, and the rest of the scuba-obsessed crew, go out there and get wet. Be safe. And
0: remember, no inflatable sheep were harmed in the making of tonight's show.